I'm sorry, but it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This episode will feature two new clever card games from Studio H, Valvara and Vivarium. Plus, the guys will deep dive into two lighter war games, Twilight Struggle Red Sea and Saigon 75. You know, I take that back. This episode doesn't sound that bad after all. Hello and welcome to... Wow, another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. I'm sure everybody has been sitting on the edge of their seat, just waiting for another one. This is episode 295. We don't need another hero. My name is Marty. I have not been sitting on the edge of my seat. Tony! Sir, I must uh, say that uh, that's a very appropriate song for you to pick for this episode as a homage uh, to the lady herself, uh, Tina Mm -hmm. Turner, who recently passed away. Yes, and it also, once again, applies to some of the games we've got here. When you think about what areas of the history we are covering and what was going on in, of course, the country, the United States, during these games that we'll be talking about. But yes, did you like Proud Mary, that song Proud Mary? Uh, I mean, yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that song never gripped me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's the classic. Rolling. Mm-hmm. I, rolling ju- I can just hear Ike's the- voice, that deep voice. You know, I'm just like rolling. And then okay, the, the choreography with it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it like y'all can see it on the podcast. But anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah so that's a very appropriate uh, title for this time for uh, We Don't Need Another Hero. So yeah, Tony, we're uh, we're looking at the show notes. We before we started recording, it's like th- this potentially could be a very short episode. Salute. <laughs> Let's do we're it. Tr- no, we're trying to think of like, oh, we don't have a lot to say. We got some games to talk about, but usually we have some sort of banter or stuff to to have. And like, neither one of us really has any anecdotes or anything to share, which is probably I need to go ahead and fill this spot with this right here. Big thank you to everybody who basically sold out our strike event. All 75 tickets are gone, sold out in less than two weeks. So as promised, we, we, we've we talked. We've pulled some strings, Tony. We talked to some people behind the scenes. Yeah, we talked to some people behind the scenes, and I'm not coming, so that's one additional seat. Oh, here we go. Here we go. you got to come in and try to earn your title back. I, I know I do, but I don't know if I will. I think uh, the tide has turned on me. So the gladiators in the arena are going to have to become the underdog before they can retake the title because people have to be able to pull for them. I mean, you've got the long streak and, you know, everybody pulls against the underdog. And that's mm-hmm. why you, of course, won that and the shenanigans you pulled off. But yes, we have 10 more seats available if people would like to come out to the annual strike tournament that is Thursday night at Gen Con at 7 p.m. at the Old Spaghetti Factory. It's not. It's within walking distance of the convention center, and it's an easy trek down the old street unless it's raining, or you are sloughing a bunch of stuff from Miniature Market that weighs a whole lot of poundage. I'll never forget the time Rob um, did those canvas bags. Oh, my gosh. And carried those things over. Those were a beast. Yeah, and he was like, guys, these things weigh a ton. I'm, I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're canvas. And they, they made him lug those things. And so we got the brilliant idea of turning in tickets for the, you know, the miniature market game bags. Mm-hmm. So hopefully you and I will be able to manage whatever prize support we are getting. I do, I do know what it is. Oh, okay. Everybody who attends is going to get a dice tray from miniature market. 
uh, one of those little collapsible dice trays where you can uh, snap the corners together to create like a little portable dice tray. And uh, we're also going to be giving away some miniature market dice. This would be kind of funny for, I guess we could use also, I'm mean, about to see if we can get some more dice from them because that could be some of the dice we use for Dice in the Bowls, the official miniature market dice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get a couple of the 36 because, let's see, six people, five dice. That's 30. You need one more to seed the arena and mm-hmm. go with it. I, oh, I'm sorry. Seed the bowl. Excuse me. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So, yeah, we do have 10 more tickets. As When this episode drops, 10 more tickets will be available. So if you're interested in them, then go grab them now. I can't believe how fast the other 75 went. I was really surprised. Thank you for all those who supported. We can't wait to uh, see you out there. I think it's going to be a yet another fun event. When do I have to fly in? Tuesday? Yes. And you have to give me your information because I have to book the tickets. Mm-hmm. So I can make sure I get your, you know, your travel, your uh, known traveler number, whatever it's called, and your AA number, not your mm-hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous, but your American Airlines number too. Yes. So that you can, so our DTN can support this maybe. We'll see. Now, actually, it's so that I get free luggage. Uh, right. Right. Because I pay for the credit card, which gets me basically the free upgrades and the the free like which literally pays for itself. Oh yeah, two trips and you pay for <laughs> pay for the credit card fee that you have each year. So when I fly with my wife, she has that credit card, so I never mm-hmm. have to worry about it. So I don't have that credit card, and therefore, whenever I book my own individual travel, I'm like, well, crap, I got I got to deal with this. So I'm hoping American Airlines on my next trip offers you that special deal. Hey, if you sign up today, you get, you know, 60,000 miles. The last few flights I was on, they have not come around with that. They have not offered the credit cards. I thought that was like a standard every flight where I have to turn up the music. So I have to, so I can drown out what's coming out over the intercom. And then you have that awkward scenario where the, uh, the flight stewards are walking up and down the aisle with the, with the little forms looking at you. Do you want a form? It's like, no, don't make eye contact. I don't want a form. <laughs> I, the ones I have where they've done it, basically, if you wanted one, you better put your hand out because they are moving at, at rocket speed down that aisle, baby. Yeah, they know what's going on. They know you're not going to take it. I wonder if, they're, if they have incentives for everyone oh, they yeah. give out or get filled. They probably get some money back or something. I'm sure they get, they get the, like I would be in... Um, where was I? Oh, I was in a department store and I could hear the intercom guy. The uh, manager was near us. Yes, I actually went to a department store. I went inside of a mall. That's unusual. And I could hear him and he says, okay, we need to announce that so-and-so just sold, you know, got somebody sign up for a credit card. Everybody give a big shout out to Marty. Congrats, Marty, for signing up a customer. I'm sure they get that. What mall did you go to? Carolina Place. I had to buy a suit. Really? I had to buy a No, I'm sorry, South Park. Uh, okay. I was going to say, you kind of take your life in your own hands when you go to Carolina Place now. Yeah, you do. But No, I went to <laughs> South Park to get a suit for the wedding, uh-huh. and I needed to... So we went there, and I could hear him, and it was like nobody. No, there, were, there were only people at the registers. You, there, mm-hmm. Don't forget about asking for assistance, because they're at the registers. They got to check people out. Mm-hmm. And that, that was fine. I, I didn't have any issue... South Park is a nice mall. I just hate getting in and out of it. Mm-hmm. it. It is not an easy mall to access. And by gosh, do not go during Christmas season. It is horrible. I don't go. Yeah, I don't go. To, uh, this, this is my one time, once in 10 years adventure into the mall. 
Remember when malls used to be the thing? Mm-hmm. As a teenager, did you go to the mall and hang out? Because I sure did. No. Uh, well, I had oh. the old I had the old South Park mall where it had, um, this tells age, there was Sears. You'd go to Sears, mm-hmm. but I'd go with my parents so I could play the video game console. Oh, oh, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. So I actually worked at a mall uh, while I was in high school. I worked at uh, what was known as Eastland Mall. It's no longer there which was a big hangout for teens and stuff because you had the mm-hmm. ice skating ring, you had a movie theater. So I, I I loved hanging out in the mall. And then when you and I moved into an apartment, that's when Carolina Place was brand spanking new. And they had an arcade in there. And you and I would go over to the mall a lot mm-hmm. and hang out, go to the arcade, go across the street to Toys R Us, buy ball cards and little figures. <laughs> <laughs> or go to the comic book store, get the Chinese yeah. food, and <laughs> then go. Right. To, oh, All man. of it was right there. We went every Wednesday to pick up our comic books, then went to Toys R Us, maybe buy a box of cards, and go play uh, arcade games over at the mall. We are such geeks. It is so sad. <laughs> and I know we didn't say we didn't have a lot here, but I have two items for you. Number one, I yes. was thinking about going and seeing a movie in the movie theater, taking Donna, and we were going to go to see Guardians. When did Guardians come out? Guardians came out, uh, let's see, that was actually the first movie that we covered on our movie episode, so that would have been the very first of May. The first of May. Okay, I was a little confused, because it has already moved to the itty-bitty theater at AMC, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's only been a month, and it's already moved. I'm like, now, things aren't that back to normal, but they're getting close. Have you gone yet? No. Okay. Did you see two? Yes, I saw two on the TV. Yes, I did see okay, two. Okay. And as I said on the movie show, I, well, it wasn't one of my favorites, but I saw your little mini uh, write-up on three and how you enjoyed it more. Yeah, so. I did. I think most people enjoyed three more. Okay. Uh, most people I talked to said two was probably their least favorite. Three was a really good way to wrap up everything because James Gunn is you know leaving going to DC, which I as of this recording, I will be going seeing Flash this week. Mm-hmm. I have no interest. Yeah, I, it's just because it's Flash. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to go see it. Now, last week I did go see Spider-Man Across the... Uh, or two weeks ago, I saw Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. I know you said you can't see it in theater, but it is as good as the first one. I loved it. Loved it. Okay. All right. Well, then I will wait for it to make it to the TV, mm-hmm. make it to the small screen. Now, I did go see a... Um, a lot of people this past weekend here in Charlotte, we have this, it's the first year it's been back thing called the taste of Charlotte in downtown Charlotte. You and Donna went to taste of Charlotte. Donna and I went to the taste of Charlotte. Wow. Okay. And for those who are listening, if you haven't already tuned out, this is basically where various restaurants come into the downtown, excuse me, the uptown area of Charlotte, North Carolina and you give them, you buy coins, and then you go to their booth, and you get samples of the food they are known for. For instance, heaven forbid, we have four barbecue places on this. You had a choice. That's all? Well, just four? Okay. Just four. Multiple ethnic. I had an an incredible uh, tikka masala. Oh, my heavens. Mm -hmm. That was so good. And then, um, then I had some bao buns. Those were amazing as well. I did go and get some um, burnt ends and mac and cheese. So that that was very good. But yes, we were there. And on top of that, we had a football club soccer game in downtown at the same time that somebody forgot to check out and make sure there weren't these 
competing events. Oh, you want to talk grumpy, Tony? Ooh. Mm. What, with the, with the parking? Parking, traffic, dealing with people on the street, getting in my way. <laughs> there were no lines. You just basically guessed which booth you were going to. And if you got up there, then suddenly, oh my God, you're in the wrong line. It's back four blocks. And I'm like, I'm not standing in line to go get a small little French fry boat size of whatever they were serving. It's not worth it. But I did get free mango chips from, uh, what is it, Sun something? The, the, the people that drive the fruit, they were throwing those at people. They couldn't get rid of them so the people could go home. But there were, oh, there were so many people. So many people. Nope, not again. Never again. Does that many people attend the game? There, it's always sold out. The whole arena, that's a 75,000-person stadium. There's no way. The, the, the upper bowl must be closed. There's no way that you're selling out 75,000. I don't know. Game. I know the first time they they did a pretty good job at it, but yes, I don't know about the second The first time season. they did, I just, yeah. Uh, I was actually trying to look up what the average attendance because I was surprised it was going to be that much, and I can't find. Oh, they're not going to You know, a lot that. of times if you, if you pull up the box scores, it'll tell you what the attendance mm-hmm. was. But um, that that is tickets sold versus who actually walked through the turnstile. That's true. That's true. But I still don't think they have both bowls open. I, I don't know. I have okay. never been. I would like to go. Matter of fact, when Ignacy was here last year, I was really hoping they were playing in Charlotte because he would have enjoyed that, but he, they were not. It's a good way to take a nap. You judge your sports. I judge my sports, whichever you like. It's hey, fine. people say the same thing about baseball, and that's fine. But for me, for soccer, I would fall asleep. And baseball, I do fall asleep. I fall asleep during a NASCAR race. I fall asleep during a lot of sporting events. Because tennis, oh my heavens, golf, golf. Oh please! I, <laughs> though I did enjoy watching the the Masters. I and I am going to go down and see my daughter in her new place down in Savannah, and she was going to surprise me with Savannah banana tickets. Good luck. That's what I when she told me that I said, "Yeah, good luck, baby. It ain't happening." Because they were coming to um, in, uh, the, uh, Charlotte, the, the oh gosh, the team's uh, Canapolis. They're playing in Canapolis. They sold out immediately because mm-hmm. I was going to go. Yeah. So they're going on the open market, a single, and I call this the Globetrotters of baseball. Yeah. Because of the annex they do. They, the, the secondary market tickets were going for $300 a piece. I said, you can try next year. I follow them on Twitter and will watch some of their clips. They are, they are super entertaining. Number mm-hmm. one, they're really good ball players to do some of the stuff that they do. It's great. I saw this one, this one play where the shortstop, the, the pitcher was standing on the mound. The pitcher turns around and throws the ball to the shortstop. The shortstop comes and makes a running, starts running towards the mound, jumps over the pitcher and delivers a strike to the batter. Highly illegal, but okay. Well, I mean, th- yes, yeah. the whole game is illegal, but I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> athletic to be able to pull that off. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, where are you going to do one to six to two? I can see that in the box score. <laughs> I see. How do you score that in the scorebook? That's yeah. right. Well, I am so glad we didn't have anything to talk about, but I am. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> if we just start talking, it happens. Now, before we do jump into the reviews, I want to tell this one story because we're going to be covering two uh, historical games today. We're going to be covering Saigon 75, and we're going to be covering Twilight Struggle uh, Red Sea. Now, Tony, you and I got to play at, M- at McAllister's last week, and as I was setting up the game, a gentleman 
who's and McAllister's a lot. I've I've seen him before. Walks up and says, "I always see you guys playing games. What you playing?" And so I happen to have Saigon seventy five set up. Was based on is based about the end of the Vietnam War, and the guy actually had on a Vietnam vet cap, and he said. Well, I kind of know what you're doing here. So I started talking to him and I said, were you stationed in Vietnam? He said he wasn't. He was a radio ops stationed in Japan. And so he was just telling me about, you know, that period of time and everything like that. It was really interesting for him to be looking at the map and and understand the struggles and stuff that was going on because he lived it. He was there. And then he saw the other box, Twilight Struggle, Red Sea. And he said, what's that one? I said, well, this is in the mid to late 70s during the Cold War. And he said, he said, well, that's really interesting because he said, after the Vietnam War, I took a job with the NSA and I worked with them in order to try to capture and decode messages from the Soviet bloc during this time. I went, what? He went, yeah. He said, I'm still under like NSA regulations to where I can't officially enter a communist bloc country because some of the stuff that I saw and everything back then. So I just thought it was really cool. This one gentleman walks up. And has actual life experiences with mm-hmm. the two games that we played. Yeah, uh, well, you, you released that on our game night, and appreciate that. Our video it. game night video. It's on game YouTube, night videos, yeah. which I still owe you too. But nobody watches those. That's why I told it here. Really? Yeah, a oh, hundred people watch that. Yeah, a lot more people listen to this podcast than a hundred. Yes. Oh man! So I don't have to worry about doing those. Dude, I, if you want to do them, do them. I mean, uh, they're games that we played seven months ago. You see how fast my turnaround was? I'd do it the next day. Oh, mine would have been fast if I wasn't getting yelled at for having, oh, you better have some beef footage. Barry Burton that in the video. <laughs> I'll have you know that when I didn't have the beef footage, I turned that around right then, and then you dubbed over all the voices with some music so we wouldn't have copyright violations. Oh, uh, that's so funny. Oh, stupid. That's so stupid. So, yes, that was a very interesting story. That's great that he stopped by to talk to you and then just keep moving along. That's what's so interesting about these historical games is that there's some factual basis to it. It's not some fictional world or fictional characters, and we get to uh, to learn something uh, along the way. So I can't wait to uh, jump into these games and tell everybody about them. It's no secret that, Marty, we love our Portal games, but you need to head over to shopportalgames.com. I love my portal games. Can I have that new Mines game that's coming out? I want to do that Imperial Settlers Miners games, man. I know. He's teased it. I'm like, okay, where do I get it? Well, if you head over to his site, you can get in a pre-order when he posts it out there. But something I was noticing about the base game, sometimes, oh, I don't know, maybe other online sites may not have in stock some of his most popular games. Head over to shopportalgames.com where you can find those. For instance... Nirishima Hex 3.0. It's $29 right now. That whoa, is, whoa, whoa. $29? That is even cheaper than some of the other online stores. Yes. Wow. Empires of the North. $37.20 right now. What? I know. You need to go over to Shop Portal Games and just hover over Shop Games and the menu will... I mean, this is a sweet website. And it will show you the various sales that are going on. People were talking about how Preta Porter was out of stock. I'm showing where I can add it to my card here at shopportalgames.com. Million Dollar Script, $12. Vienna Connection, $31. My all-time favorite, Robinson Crusoe, 
4350. Go to Portal Games, shop Portal Games, see what's on sale over there, see what's available because it may not be available at, at these other online retailers. That's shopportalgames.com. As we tease, one of the historical games we played is called Saigon 75. This is from publisher Nuts Publishing, designed by Jean-Philippe Barkas and Pascal Taupe. This is a game that takes place at the end of the Vietnam conflict. It's a two-player game. It's going to take... What are you laughing at? Did I say something wrong? <laughs> it takes place... Well, okay, in 75, it ended. So yeah, Saigon 75 kind of gives you that okay, okay people may not know the historical <laughs> timeline of the vietnam police what was it called uh, it wasn't a war police it was action pl- it's a police, police action, action. <laughs> the police action so anyway it's a two-player game plays in 45 to uh, 60 minutes we'll say an hour just to round it off and one person plays as north vietnam the other plays as south vietnam this is somewhat of an asymmetric game in the way this game plays because it's a it's a card-driven, event-driven game where there's a deck of cards. There's way more cards that help North Vietnam than there is South Vietnam, plus there's some neutral cards. The goal of North Vietnam is to basically come in and take over Saigon or either wipe out the South Vietnamese forces. South Vietnam's total goal is I got to last eight rounds. If I last eight rounds and the other team hasn't won, I win the game. And other than that, Tony, it's kind of like an area control with, I guess there is a little bit of combat going on where you move forces in, you do some fighting to try to overtake over different areas of the South Vietnam region. But it does not force you to fight, which is one of my favorite things about this game. When, when we are both sitting in the same province, then it is going to be a, do I want to engage in battle? And it all depends on if I activate the armies Mm-hmm. Which you'll, which we'll talk about here and how you activate and what determines that. And I like that. I don't like games. Oh, okay, let me rephrase that. Games that force me to fight, I think, slow down some of the progress, which is what I really enjoyed about this game. I could set myself up and position myself so that I would either, possibly you would have to initiate the battle or maybe I could stage a battle later that would help give me an advantage. I enjoyed that about this game. Yeah, and uh, so like I said, it's played over basically um, eight turns. I really like the way the board's laid out. Uh, you have your side of the board. What are you laughing at? I keep. <laughs> am I saying something funny? It's just, I like how it's. I thought you were going. Well, I'm laughing because I keep thinking that you're going to come back with something like it's laid out like the country of Vietnam. I thought you might <laughs> say that. <laughs> so the board is a map of Vietnam <laughs> and I like how that's laid out. I mean, if it had been a map of the Philippines, it might've been more difficult for us. <laughs> no, what I was going to say was, uh, with you, like you played as South Vietnam on your side, it had the available actions to you mm-hmm. and, and what happens during your phase. And on the other side of the board, North Vietnam, Vietnam, what? <laughs> North mm-hmm. Vietnamese player has their uh, set of actions. And basically during your turn, you're going to walk through each of those uh, steps. Beginning of the turn, for both of us, you get to determine how many units are going to be available for you to be able to activate. There's going to be a die roll that takes place. And there's a modifier that's added based on what round that you're in. This is where some of the balance comes in. Because early on, Tony, you have more units available to you to activate. North Vietnam doesn't. 
that swings as the game goes on. The later rounds, North Vietnam has more units. They activate and you'll have less. And during this time, you actually pick what units on the board you want to activate. They're uh, little wooden pieces. They are uh, hexagons with stars on the bottom, kind of like what you find in coin games. Mm -hmm. And you basically pick the pieces you want to activate and you flip them over. I have six pieces I want to activate. I'm going to activate one, two, three, four, five, six. These are the ones I'm going to activate. And then you go into the movement phase where you actually have to play an event card at this point. The event card could benefit you. It could benefit. What is so funny? <laughs> Just thinking about our game. That event card kept tripping us up. We would, oh crap, event card. Roll dice. Let's move, let's activate. Oh wait, wait, where's the event card that may change what I want to do? Yes, okay. Yeah, it's it's, it's written on the board. It's written on the board. We, we couldn't follow it. <laughs> sometimes we'd move units before the event card. No, I was going to say about the event uh -huh. card was many times you had to play a card that benefited me just because you didn't have one in your hand that was good for you. Mm -hmm. But you always have to play one, and uh, the the event must be activated depending on whose side. If it's mine, I get to do it, which, yeah, which is really cool as a North Vietnamese. Anyway, so you got the event card. Then you get each one of those tokens you're going to move that you've activated. Then, as you said, you have the option. If you move into a place with somebody else, you could actually resolve combat at that time, which is done through uh, dice rolls to determine hits and everything like that. And then you check for Providence Control, and then turn goes over to you. And then you have a list of things that you would go through, but the beginning of that is pretty much the exact same thing North Vietnam North Vietnamese player did. Right. And one of the key differences between the North and the South is I, of course, have the various UN support from other countries, but I have the air support. I have planes that can come in and add to the die or move troops around. I have special troops that can move very quickly from locations, like the Marines can move along the coast fairly quickly. The Rangers can paratroop in. And I believe it was the Rangers. I'm pretty sure those are the paratroopers that come through it. That's my big advantage. And with the attrition that, just like what occurred in 75, the attrition of the forces, with them modeling the activation, with, me get, with South Vietnam getting smaller abilities or smaller troops to activate, it flows right with what was happening in history during that time. Yeah, I was reading the book and it said that the South Vietnamese military started um, abandoning their post or, or basically deserting. Uh, they were just like, you know, I forget it. I, I'm done. And you actually had to make a roll every mm -hmm. round to determine how many would be removed off the board, out of play, which really got tough for you towards the end of the game. It really does force, you have very little forces left and you're just trying to hold on to Saigon as best you can and make it through eight rounds. All right. I'm pulling back. I'm going, which makes perfect sense to what was going on. I am pulling and bringing my troops into Saigon. So at the end, because there is a limit, each player can have no more than five wood pieces in a location or in a province together. So for a total of 10, there are various movement restrictions on my side. Cause I have, um, even though I've got mechanized troops, it doesn't give me an advantage. It's just a piece on the board. Army strengths, some armies, you can have two that can be reduced to one. Now, one thing that was very interesting is as the North Vietnamese could combine their armies so that they could go from too small to one big piece, mm -hmm. which what, what deal is that? What makes that so valuable to the North Vietnam? That basically eliminates a restriction that they may have in a province. I've now just combined two to one and I can bring another piece in and I've increased my forces. Thematic, very yeah. thematic. Yeah. And the, by the way, the way the pieces reduce is when you take uh, a hit, an injury. Mm -hmm. 
Because when you roll dice, there's battle dice that can be rolled. The max battle dice you can roll is five. There's ways to increase the number of dice, et cetera. But there's like misses on the dice. There are hits. And then there are uh, retreats. For every hit that's made, the other person has to remove a piece from the board. But like for me, when I took a hit, if I had a large piece, I could remove it and replace it with a half a piece. Mm -hmm. That represents one hit. You know, hey, hey, during retreat, did you know what would run through my head during the retreats? What's that? Run, Forrest, run! Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then what each side counted up the retreat dice, and whoever had, and you took the difference of the two, whoever had the higher amount had to take their pieces and actually move them off. So, combat resolution, super simple, really straightforward, which I really liked. Yes. The other part, as Marty's already mentioned, is. After you go through the South Vietnam process of activating and resolving everything, you have the attrition or the leaving of the, the desertion of the army. Mm -hmm. So as the South Vietnam player, you have to think through, how do I keep as many provinces in control? And I'm hoping I'm using the right term for province or... or yeah, those yeah, province. Provinces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How how do I minimize your ability to control a province? Because there's various rules that say how a province, who controls what. You, as the South Vietnam player, the mo smaller the number, the less uh, attrition, attrition you have. dice you have to roll. Right. Yeah. Or or the the impact, because uh, I think it's 1d6, but plus 3 if you're in yeah. this range. And this range of control, you'll count up the number of mm -hmm. spaces North Vietnam controls, and then there's a convenient table written on the board that will say, okay, if they control this number of spaces, roll a D6 plus a modifier. Right. That board was nicely laid out. Did you point yeah, that out? Yeah, it was. Nicely laid out with a map of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was well done. No, I mean, in all seriousness, no. Oh, everything you need to know is on the board. Tables and everything. I love that. The event cards. We talked about you know, with the event cards. I didn't find any of those. Oh, my gosh. Let me go reference the rule book for how this card is going to be impacted. I didn't have any of that going on. And it was just, oh man, this is going to really suck if I play this. One thing I thought was cool too is that there's these things called objective tokens that are randomly put out at three different spaces on the board. And uh, they'll have a number either three, five, or seven. At the end of that turn, whoever controls the space with that particular objective token earns it. And that can be used for like an extra activation or reroll any of your dice uh, you could discard that token to draw uh, to able to discard a card to draw a replacement card. Getting those objective tokens are really important. So it kind of drove you to go, okay, I know in round three, this province will be up to earn this token. So I'm going to try to make sure I control it by the end of round three. You may go, well, I'm going to let you have, have round three, but I'm going to make sure I take five and seven mm -hmm. sort of deal. And that's going to be random each game. That little mechanic right there I really liked. What I really didn't like is the fact that my Air Force stunk. <laughs> Your rolls stunk? <laughs> no, they stunk. They couldn't, as Top Gun said, you know, in the Vietnam War, our kill ratio dropped. And it was clear because they were falling out of the sky. Everything is limited. That's one thing I, I want people to understand is with, you know how some games you're able to bring in additional troops? You mm -hmm. have a limited set. I had a limited set. And when they're off their board, they're gone. Nothing that you do is going to allow you, except North Vietnam, to bring them back. You were the only one that had that capability with those tokens. South Vietnam did not. So that's another thing you have to manage as you're playing the game. 
overall, I, I like the game. I think it's fast. It was super easy to learn. I think we, I mentioned on that video, our game night video that uh, Candace Harris did a, how to play video that's on BGG. Mm -hmm. Uh, she did a really good job of going over the rules and everything. But even aside from that video, this rule book is easy to read, easy to understand. And even though it's kind of asymmetric, it's not so different that you have to totally learn how to play one side, which is totally different from the other. It's just that the way the rules are set up, the natural, natural momentum of the game is such that North Vietnam gets stronger over time, South Vietnam gets weaker, and they're just trying to hold on after to, to eight rounds in order to survive the game. So mm -hmm. the way the rules are written and the event cards are done, it simulates that uh, crap, Vietnam, uh, Saigon's going to fall, and it eventually it did fall. So mm -hmm. I think in our game, it came down to actually the final round, didn't it? Yes. It came down to the final round, and I actually was able to take over Saigon. But if I hadn't have been successful with my roles, you would have won the game. It's a tight game. I like that. On my side, great two-player game. Fast. Event cards, well-written. I didn't feel like you needed to know all the event cards, the, the, basically there weren't that many options in the event cards, but they were very thematic. I felt it gave you the tension that you need, especially when you were on the South Vietnam side saying, how am I going to compress my forces? I do think that will be one thing that as we play, that it may become repetitive and from the standpoint of, all right, I know I've got to get everybody to Saigon. That's going to be my constant in-game six, seven, or six, seven turn move that I'm mm -hmm. going to be compressing. Meanwhile, as the North Vietnam, you may be saying, I've got to cut you off. I've got to cut you off. So you cannot move those forces down there that you've, mm -hmm. that you're going to lose them and gain quicker providence. I mean, we basically ignored the far South and didn't really activate in there. I was moving troops out of there, not worrying about it. And you were trying to concentrate on where the objectives were. At least that's how I felt. Yeah, it did. But that's interesting that you gave those up because I was able to take control of them. That made your attrition rolls really bad because that means I just had more provinces to control. I, I had to do something to be able to protect the outer outer barrier. I had to keep you out of the city. I had to yeah. keep you from uh, put a little force on you, put a little tension in the rolls. Because if I didn't, you would have just marched right in there. I would not have been able to board the helicopter. So if you are interested in playing a war game, I think that does not require a bunch of chits on the table, a lot of area control. This is right there. And definitely if you have someone who wants to sit down for an hour, what, an hour and a half, maybe? At the most. Yeah, yeah at the most. I think I, I, I say 60, 60, 90 minutes easily. Uh, it really depends. If you go a full eight rounds, it'll probably be a little bit more in an hour. Mm -hmm. But if North Vietnam, Vietnam does really well, it could be a lot quicker. And I'd like to see Nuts Publishing take, it was Nuts Publishing, right? It was. Um, I'd like to see them take this same, just kind of like what we've seen with the Undaunted series, take another segment out of some history mm -hmm. and apply the same mechanics to that. So maybe maybe the Battle of Midway or yeah. the Carrier Fleet. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, war is not glamorous or anything like that, mm -hmm. but right. it does give you, we weren't there, the feeling of, okay, could I have been a better commander? And the answer for me was, nope. I would have... Nope. I would pull the troops too. <laughs> All right. So that is Saigon 75 for Nuts Publishing out now. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Next on the list is a fast playing card game 
called Valbara by Olivier Cipierre from Studio H, brought to us by Ashat Board Games. Can we get her to do another one of these recordings? Oh, I think we got to. I think we need to refresh it every year, mm-hmm. and we've already got a meeting set up with her at Gen Con, so for sure, we'll, we'll bring the recorder and we'll do it in a whole other batch. This is, By the way, this is Danny. Yes, Danny from Ashat. So I got to use it again. Uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> I, like how you, I like how you bring that in. Fast playing games, everybody knows. That's Tony's Jam. Oh, Love yeah. My, mine too. What a great filler for a two to five player game plays in 25 minutes. Small box, throw it on the table. Bam. Great way to start off game night. I'm reading the rules and I'm like, okay, w- w- what's my actions here? Oh, there's only two actions? Yeah. <laughs> sweet. I think, I, I, sweet. I think I can explain this. So the first one is everybody has the same deck of cards. They, they're, they're characters. They're very special characters. And they're numbered one through 12. And all these characters have special powers. So the first thing everybody's going to do is they're going to select a character and place it face down on the table so no one can see it. We all flip it over. The lowest number goes first. And when that happens, that person gets to select a land card from the first row. There are two rows of land cards. And you get to pick from the first unless there's a special action that allows you to change that or adjust it. Keep One of the character cards allows you to pull that off. Yeah, Because you actually take the, uh, whatever the character says you do, you do it first, then take a card. Yep. And you add that land to your realm. Yeah. And then what you're going to do is you can, everybody's going to continue doing this over and over again until everybody has nine lands in their realm. But every time you claim a land, you're going to be scoring victory points, whether it be a mixture of different types of lands you have or the common lands, et cetera. So, your whole goal is set collection of some sort over the course of the game. And you just got to try to decide when do I want to use my cards at what time to try to make sure I can draft early to get that piece of land that I want. Key point that we need to point out is uh-huh. that you're scoring victory points after every round. Unlike other games where you score it all at the end. So most sure. victory points win. So you got to keep track from, from that standpoint, but everything builds over time and the various lands have Different types, like some lands say, well, if you have this many in your collection, you get this many points, but later you may get even more. So you need to make sure you prevent people, which we did not do very well in our game, from collecting those types of lands and running away with the game. One easy one is like, for example, one of them is you're going to gain one point per meadow in your realm and in your neighbor's realms. So if I'm sitting beside Tony and he's got a lot of meadows and I've got a lot of meadows, I'm going to try to draft a meadow because I get to score off him and me. Mm-hmm. So little things like that, or gain two points per field in your realm, including this one. So you see, it's it's a type of collect, set collection just over the course of the game. You're just constantly gaining victory points. But the whole trick, Tony, is the whole bidding. Uh, when do you bid? Do you want to save those low cards for later in the game? Some of those cards have special abilities that you might want to use at the right time in order to maybe pull a card from the second uh, row. In that aspect, every time you play the game, it's going to feel a little bit different. Everybody's trying to, you got to kind of look at what everybody else is doing around you as far as the stuff that they're drafting. And you maybe try to hate draft from them, which we had some of that too in this sort of game, Mm -hmm. but also try to benefit you when you, when you draft at the same time. And one of the key cards, and it seems like all these games have this is the one that allows you to take a card that you've already played back into your hand. Yeah, because otherwise, it, once you use it, that's it. You don't get to use it again until you play that special card and you can pull one back. So that is the strategic side of this is when do you play, even though it's a, a very high initiative, it's a very powerful one. So like if I've already put my high initiative out, 
then I want to pull it back so I can get a land later in time. You can. And I will say this, all the character cards, the higher the initiative, the less beautiful type of event that you're going to get. For instance, not as powerful. Not as powerful. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the fighter, which is number one, all players with the fighter in hand may reveal her to gain one token. One, one point. victory point. Yeah. yeah. But where the 12, you get to double your reward for every land you add to your realm this round. So if you play that way later and you have a bunch of those, this, these add up very quickly. Yeah. So simple game, easy to explain. I'd really enjoyed this. Yeah. Again, small box game plays less than 30 minutes, supports up to five players. Anybody, any experienced gamer is going to be able to pick this up in no time at all. Understand how the set collection work and how you generate the points. It's clearly written on the cards, how all the lands score. It's clearly written on your cards, how the different characters work. I really liked it. I like simultaneous bidding, so it makes everything uh, go really fast. So I dug it too. Yeah. Now, one thing we didn't cover, but I think is also of neat. I said neat. And it was. Was how you determine what if we both play the same initiative, Marty? How do we determine who who goes first? I don't know, Tony. Why don't you tell us? Well, the land cards on the back of the land card deck, there is who would go first based on the various tribes that are in the that are being played. Yeah. So each of us have a tribe that we're being played, a color that's a being color. played. Yeah. That's really clever too, because the tiebreaker is basically the back of the card mm-hmm. that you see. That so it's like okay. Oh, so th- this way, I know I'm going to be first, even if we tie and play the same number five. That's five at the same time. I-, I get to go first and it changes. Really nice mechanic for determining ties versus flipping coins or I don't know, playing rocks, paper, scissors, whatever. But yes, thumbs up for me. Uh, same here. That is Valbara from Studio H and Ashat Board Games. Five minute initiative is complete. Con season's coming. I keep saying this because we know that when con season comes around at Gen Con, I've already seen, Tony, we've already seen all these previews of games coming out. We've been, uh, have a couple publishers reach out to us. Hey, we want to let you know we got some big games coming out at Gen Con. Come and talk to us about it, which means that y'all are probably going to be interested in some of these games, which means what's going to happen is over at miniaturemarket.com, they're going to have lots of these games on pre-order coming up soon. Some of these games, Tony, we've seen are hot. Like they have like limited numbers available early on and then they'll have a bigger supply later. Lots of times they have limited quantities like in August around Gen Con and then a bigger shipment later. So if there's something that's going to be coming out maybe around Gen Con and maybe you're not able to attend, go out to miniaturemarket.com. Go out to just search for the game that you're looking for. Pre-orders on their games tend to go up pretty early. Throw it in there. If you put in enough pre-orders and get it over 99 bucks, you'll get free shop, free, sh- well, not free shopping. The shopping isn't free, but the shipping will be free if you can get it over $99 and do that. Take case care of your shipping and everything like that. So definitely keep an eye out and you'll see pre-orders pop up probably starting soon, like every day. So you want to make sure to look at their daily updates and subscribe to their newsletter. For all that, head over to miniaturemarket.com. for more war actually there was this was not war it was kind of a cold war kind of it wasn't warm it was cold twilight struggle red sea conflict in the horn of africa everybody has heard of twilight struggle 
Yes, you raised your hand. Say you have. Well, I mean, I, I was saying I heard of it. In fact, I have it on my shelf of shame downstairs as a never played game. So I was excited to hear about this two-player game that plays in like 30 to 45 minutes that simulates Twilight Struggle so I can finally experience it. On the BGG site, with a more limited scope and a much shorter playtime, this version is a perfect way to introduce new players to the behemoth Twilight Struggle. Okay, they don't have the word behemoth, but that's mm -hmm. me adding. While maintaining all the tension, decision-making, and theme of the original classic. So if you have heard of Twilight Struggle, and you're like, man, would, would I like this game? But I, I don't know. There, there's a lot about it. Give this a try. End of review. Give this a try first. So this, you're saying, you're telling me that before I buy this other game, I need to buy this game to see if I would even like the other game. Thus, I might end up buying two games. Yes. Because okay. they, if you like this one, and you're like, well, man, this, this felt shorter. Mm -hmm. the, and I want more. Then, then go back to Twilight Struggle, where you will get a lot more on the table. <laughs> now, we haven't said it yet. This is a game designed by Jason Matthews and published by GMT Games. And as you said, it kind of takes place in the Horn of Africa. Uh, it's kind clearly of. It does. The, it does. <laughs> and it's, really, it's a really cool board. Uh, it's got a map. It has like, it's got like a map of Africa. <laughs> God. <laughs> All right, so one side's playing as the USSR, one is playing as uh, the US. You're trying to gain influence over different regions of the Middle East and uh, Africa, and you try to have hopefully enough influence during two potential scoring rounds that could happen, and then a final scoring round at the end. But Tony, even more so than Saigon 75, this is really a card-driven game more so than the other one because basically the card dictates the types of actions that you'll be able to take each turn. That's right. You can use a card for operations points, which give you the ability to adjust influence adjust, wherever you are. You can go out and you can adjust, basically put your influence in a region. And if you score more... Like actual... like actual, So influence actual tokens. Actual to tokens, the yeah. 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 You got to change them out. So you're, you're, you're adjusting those. And if you exceed the influence in the region, you now have control provided your mm -hmm. opponent does not have any influence there. So there's all these rules about influence and how that's done. That's one of the key things you've got to learn in this game. And it does a really good job of explaining it. As Marty will say with his GMT, I've gotten used to the GMT rule books, right? hundred uh, percent. It's the, uh, it's the outline method uh, mm -hmm. of, uh, of rule books. It's like, Oh, wait a minute. How does influence work? Oh, go check 6.3.4. And it's like, oh, oh, okay, I got it. Which is what we've always said. In 10 years on this podcast, we have said that we are used to that type of process, plan, procedure, mm -hmm. being the engineers that we are. We like seeing that flow in a, in a rule book. So that's yeah. why for us, it's daunting to see a 400-page rule book. Not this one, of course. No. Still, from that standpoint, it's like, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. This rule book is only needed to learn how to play 12 pages. 12 pages. Yeah. Boom. Easy, easy peasy. You can use a card as an event card if it's your event. If it's not your event, well, then you don't get to use it. The other player gets to use it, which is the <laughs> tension that you have in your hand. You may have an, a card that you need to use all the ops points at the top. 
but it's the other player's event. And you're like, I really don't want to give them this event, but I really need these ops points to accomplish the other actions I may want to take. I may want to do a coup in a region, or I may want to realign a region, or I may want to go into the space race, which is well laid out on the board on what those mean. Yeah, so like I think uh, see, uh, realignment is if we're both there, taking influence away from you and adding it to me. Mm-hmm. A coup is, let's say, uh, from my perspective, if I have nobody there but you do, I want to come in and like convert your guys over you know, or uh, basically try to do a coup and take over that entire region. But those are more risky, risky because die rolls uh, come into play. Where placing influence is really straightforward. You just get to place it. But the others may in- induce some risk. But let me ask you, Tony, because you talked about playing event cards. If I play an event card and it's my event, do I get to use my event and the ops points? Well, of course you don't. Don't think you get to have your cake and eat it too. But if I play a card with your event and I want to use the op points, do you get the event? I just said that. you. Sh- I do. I sure yeah. do. Yeah. And that's so, why I'm saying there's the tension. Because lots of times you may have... You may have like, oh man, I got a card that's worth four op points. I could use all four, but it's my opponent's event. Well, I'm just going to have to give it to him so I can get those four points. So, Or you may just say, nope, this event's mine. It's sweet. I'm just going to take it and uh, not use the ops points this time. I've played Twilight Struggle multiple times on the iPad, and this was right there. It's it's the exact same thing from the... um. From, from the major game. I mean, you are not doing anything different in the big game. And I think one of the more challenging things for people to do is with their playing both of these is understanding how you score events and what it means to like, if an event, if a scorecard comes out in mid war, which is the Africa card, then you total up to see who has either one of these present. Well, everybody see if everybody has presents. Domination, does somebody have domination or does somebody have control? And that determines various victory points. And you adjust the victory point token by that. And then, of course, there are other factors that come in, like battlegrounds. Do you have battlegrounds in there? That's the thing you've really got to walk through to see where all this comes in. And especially with Egypt on this board, because it applies to both regions. And, uh, and that's something I want people to realize if they want to look at this game and say, okay, how's this different? Because I don't remember anything in Twilight Struggle where a region applied to both areas. It was, you know, this was either Europe, but then again, it's been, it's been a month and a day since I played Twilight Struggle. So don't, it's not worth $5. And these two scoring cards, one for Africa, and then one late game for the Middle East, are actually in the event deck. Mm-hmm. So you as the player might have that in your hand, and you get to determine when that scoring card is played. And it just so happened in one of the games that we played, we had the scoring card for Middle East, where Tony had a lot of influence in the Middle East, and I did not want that scoring card to be played. And he ended up through a course of use of events, making me play that scoring card and he got tons of points because the late scoring card actually generates more points than what the uh, early scoring card did. One of the add-ons from Twilight Struggle that's here is also the space race track mm-hmm. and it gives you special abilities as you move up and they become negated when the other person moves up. I've never really, even in Twilight Struggle, I never really understood that one as much. 
And then there's also, you have the military operations requirement. When you attempt a coup, you take military operations and you adjust up that track on there because at the end, whoever has the most gets victory points. So the game is forcing you not to just sit there and play event cards and ops cards. You also need to be playing the, the, if someone does a, a coup or a realignment, you need to be thinking, okay, how am I going to do this? I need to be able to make sure that they don't score victory points. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It kind of forces you, as you said, you need to use a military action, which is not placing influence. That's not considered a military action. Instead, you need to be doing things like the coup. And I actually gained a couple of victory points um, because you weren't doing that. Mm-hmm. And based on whatever the DEFCON is, when that happens, you have, it says, okay, you need to have a minimum number of military played. And uh, if, if you haven't, uh, then, and if somebody has more than you, then you, then they'll get a victory point. The DEFCON track is kind of interesting too. There's things that can move the DEFCON tracker to go up and down. And depending on where it is, it may keep you from actually being able to do coups or realignments in certain regions. Mm-hmm. And I need to correct myself because I'm not giving out $5. Realignment does not give you military operations. It's only coup. It's only coup. Yep. Oh, and by the way, if you ever hit DEFCON 1, it's just the game's over. <laughs> it's like <sighs> nuclear war happened. Everything, everything blew up. And it's whoever hits that, you lose. Whoever forces the, the, the DEFCON 1 to occur, yeah, they're, they're the one that loses. This game plays fast, man. It really does. It's like the only decision you got to make is which card that you're going to play. And it's either just the event or you you only have so many influence, uh, no operations points that you can spend and you just got to decide where where do you put them. It did take us a little while to understand how to determine who controlled what area, like who has control of this area. Because if somebody else is there, there's a little formula that's a, that you know, takes place. It's like, you got to have more than the difference of between you and somebody else. Plus the influence of the area. There's a little algebraic equation that must be gone through. But once you do it a couple of times, you kind of get it. The beauty of the app. That's why I never worried about it. And that's when we started mm-hmm. playing, I couldn't figure it out. Cause I was like, the beauty of this app is it just basically, I played it up. Oh, I thought I would get more victory points than that. Nope. Oh, well, who cares? And I would move on. I will say that's one thing about an app, Marty, that, it can hurt you because you don't understand mm. the nuances of a game. And I think with when I was played in Twilight Struggle, I never understood the, how that all worked. So that's why I kind of put the app aside and said, you know what? I'm just, I just don't care anymore. And that's what I found too with some of these online games. Let me, let me give you a prime example. I'm playing a game of Nes- Nevsky right now with a website called Rally the Troops. And Rally the Troops enforces rules. If you never played Nevsky before, basically when you make a move, it just automatically just does all these calculations. Go, okay, here's the result. If you've never read the rules, you'd be totally lost about what's going on. So I could totally see that with Twilight Struggle too, because now I see how these formulas work for determining who has control of what. If that wasn't explained to me well, or I didn't understand it and the app was doing it for me, I'd be totally lost. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. Uh, that's the way a lot of these games are final thoughts for me. And I don't know if you have any, uh, this, like I said at the beginning, if you have any interest in twilight struggle and you've been on the fence on this, maybe go with this first so that you can understand and say, okay, I would like this type of game. If you can't cause 
be honest, to sit down at a table and play Twilight Struggle and somebody teach you, there's a lot there. Where this can give you that feeling of like, oh man, I've heard so much about this. This will give you that taste and help you decide if you need to go into the deep end of the pool. I enjoyed the game. I, I think I would put this on the table, and this is blasphemy. I know it is. More than Twilight Struggle. If I owned a copy. Well, duh, because you could, literally, we could play three games, at least, mm-hmm. of this in the time. Because uh, as soon as we're done, it's like, literally, okay, just uh, clear out the board, shuffle the deck, let's play again. And you could get in two games in one hour. Yes. And I will say this. We just talked about Saigon 75 earlier. This feels totally different than that. Saigon 75 feels more like a military thing because you're moving units, you're doing combat and everything. This one doesn't have that feel at all. It literally is trying to position influence and stuff around the board in order to be able to control certain areas. So even though both of these have event cards that are being played, the two games to me feel totally different from each other. Oh, they are. Easily they are. Especially from from Twilight Struggle, you're sitting there, you're having to branch out get a foothold to be able to branch out and then go into other regions. This important part of, of the struggle. Because in fact, to be able to spread influence, you, you can't jump all willy-nilly all over the board. You got to be adjacent to a place we already have that. And, unless you by chance have a card that could do that. I, I can't remember right. all the cards, which is so playing Twilight Struggle against somebody is very challenging if they know all these cards. Which I think is very important about this game. If you sit down with somebody who's played 10 games of Twilight Struggle Red Sea and you've never played, you will lose because they know the decks. They know the cards. And I've heard that about Twilight Struggle. Now I understand why. Because people who play Twilight Struggle a lot know what cards are in the deck. They know how the event scoring works. They know what where those event cards or the scoring cards could be. Same thing here. You just know what event cards are in their early deck and what's in the late deck. And by knowing that you can plan accordingly. So playing against somebody that's experienced with this, it's going to be an uphill battle just cause they know the cards better than what you do. So that is twilight struggle, red sea, Cape conflict of the, because <laughs> you were going to say Cape Horn, weren't you? Yeah, I was conflict in the horn of Africa, the horn of Africa, by Jason Matthews. I didn't get to give my final thoughts. Can I say mine? Do you really? I really, I really like it. Do you? Yeah. I thought you just did that earlier. How you? Oh, did it, I? Okay. It's staying on my shelf for sure. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. We got another short game to the table. This is a two to four player game that plays in twenty five minutes called Vivarium by Frederick Thognot from Studio H and... Ah, shit. This is also a game, kind of like the other one we just talked about, where you're going to be collecting cards and trying to score victory points. But the way you collect cards in this is totally different. You have a board out on the table. Four by four grid. You've got two rows of four of animals, one row of equipment, and one row of contracts. What's really interesting is that each of you are going to have two dominoes with a value on each side of the domino. On your turn, you will take one of your dominoes and turn it in uh, to the pool, to the supply, and grab another domino that's in that supply. And 
between the two dominoes, one will determine the row, one will determine the column of a card that you would like to draft. The card that you draft will, over the course of the game, be able to generate victory points for you. The contract cards will generate victory points at the end of the game. And Tony, that's that's pretty much it. You keep going around, you go two turns, you refill the board, and you keep going till seven rounds have occurred. You score your final points and that's it. But Tony, what's clever about this game is the use of dominoes in order to draft your cards. Never seen this. That was kind of that was kind of fun, you know. But I did I will say this. It was fun, but I was never impacted by not being able to get a card from the table because the, the board never refills until after the end of the round, after everybody takes their two turns. So I was like, I was a little concerned that the dominoes would get it to where I could not grab a card and then I would just get two gems, which by the way, the gems are important because they allow me to adjust the column or the row on the domino. It's kind of like manipulating a die. So mm-hmm. you, even if you get stuck with dominoes that you, when you put the combination together, they don't get you the cards you want. As long as you have gems, you have that capability of adjusting where you take the card. I mean, and, and it's really straightforward. The creature cards, they're going to give you some victory points. I mean, the equipment cards, they're out there. They're going to give you some immediate, you know, some will give you immediate uh, gems and some will give you a special ability that applies immediately or provides an in-game bonus or in the contract cards or what we would do, the set collection cards. Hey, if you get so many creatures in this realm, then you're going to get so many points. Or maybe if you got a collection of equipment cards that have this icon, you're going to get so many victory points. But at the end of the round, it is key to see where people are because there are various priority events and those will score um, victory points at the end, only two points but if you have, if you meet the priority, then you get those. And so those also add up at the end of the round. Once again, set collection. What do I need to do to achieve my contract cards? And how do I do it to get the most victory points? Straightforward in the game scoring too. While this is like a lot of other games where it's set collection and it could be either collecting same sets, different sets, just like we talked about with Valbar earlier. Same sort of thing with the way, what you're collecting is just what's different. Valbara was kind of like a simultaneous reveal in order to, and whoever has the lowest card gets to draft here using these dominoes in order to be able to draft off the board. But like you said, Tony, unless somebody took a card from me, I always felt like there was something available to me. And as long as you kept enough gems handy, you could modify the values of your uh, dominoes to probably get uh, what you needed. Mm-hmm. You, you, yeah, there, there was never any conflict from that standpoint. Uh, I'll admit it wasn't best sometimes, but you do need this. Okay. And, and I will question whether or not there's hate drafting going on here either, because you really don't have the time to do that. You know, keep somebody from collecting something. Yes. And it's, and it's hard to see what maybe somebody else is doing. You can't score everything. Uh, for example, you might get a contract that says, Hey, for every red and green card that you have for every pair you have, you'll get some points. Mm -hmm. So maybe somebody sees, Oh, they have that contract. So I'm going to hate draft and take this red or green from them. So they don't get it. I never felt like I had enough time to really do that because I was so focused on what I needed to do and the cards I needed in order to generate the most victory points. 
so this is ages 10 and up. I think if people who have kids that are used to these types of games, you could even bump it down a little bit. There's no reading just as long as you're explaining the contracts to them and some of the scoring. I think, you know, young, young game players could definitely get a hold of this straightforward, simple game, quick filler. Uh, if you want to get it out there, probably the longest thing that it took was filling up the boards for us and separating out the pieces. I will ask you this. Uh, if I was to have both in my hand, Vivarium and Valbara, which would you pick to play? I'd play Valbara. Okay. I think I would too, because I really like the idea of each of us having that same deck of cards and, and going from uh, there. I just, I like the way that you drafted cards in this one more so than this one. While I thought the dominoes were clever, I felt more tension with the other way of drafting than I did with this one because I never felt like there wasn't something I couldn't get. Right. Nothing wrong with this game by any means at all. And you may hear this and you go, I like the idea of Ivarian better. That's what's great about both of these. They're both small box games, easy to set up, and both play in 25 minutes. So that is Vivarium from Studio H, a game by Federic Bonnot. Five-minute initiative is complete. So let's say you went out and you went ahead and got yourself a game topper, Marty. Okay, I did that. Okay, okay. I, I bought myself a game topper. Now you, what? You went over to Game Top. I'm sorry, shop.gametoppersllc.com, and you said, "Okay, I'm going to pick this one up, and I want one that's going to allow me to have five or six people over, sit on top of my dining room table. I am good. I I've got mm-hmm. that. Okay. Yep. But lo and behold, you find yourself like myself, where maybe it's just two of us like like you and Vanessa or Donna and I mm-hmm. but you don't want to drag out that huge game topper you just don't then set it up that's where that's where they got you problem solved okay well, how's that they got the rails and leaves so oh. what that means is that their systems will provide you the flexibility to take your larger topper into a mini topper, like sit on a coffee table. Oh, so you're saying you take like like half the size of one of the larger toppers and you just attach the rail onto an end? That's a brilliant idea. And you're golden. And you're absolutely golden. And then you just roll out a smaller mat that you picked up when you ordered the rail. Brilliant. All right. Or let's say, oh my gosh, suddenly I've got this huge D&D campaign going on. And I need to get more space. Well, just put a leaf in your topper. Oh, you mean like, oh, hold on, leaf. I haven't seen this one yet. So uh, kitchen tables lots of times have the little leaf that you add to the middle to extend it. Mm -hmm. So you're saying with the game topper, you can buy this uh, extra leaf portion that will uh, extend out the size of the topper. And then you'll have like a rail extension for... uh, I guess the leaf has a rail built into it. There you go. It's got two. It's it's two more feet, twenty four wow. inches. They got your problem solved over there. Your initial game toppers. You later find out that you want to either shorten it up or extend it out because your gaming needs have changed. Whatever you need, be sure to go check it out over at GameToppersLLC.com. dot 
even though E3 no longer exists, a lot of these game companies, video game companies, are still doing these streams and talking about games that are coming out and everything. And before we started recording, I asked Tony, do you know anything that was going on? It's like, no, I didn't watch any any of that stuff. But you kept up a little bit with it because today I watched the Ubisoft stream. And I know that you put many, many hours into Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Yeah, I did. So I thought that you might be interested in the game they announced called Assassin's Creed Mirage, which is kind of supposed to be going back to the basics of what Assassin's Creed used to be. So I have the two the earlier ones of Assassin's Creed as well. I have not played yet, so I would need to do that. Yeah, you know, you sometimes wonder if a game, are they going to make it too complicated or is it the same old? I mean, it didn't grab me. Like, everybody's been going gaga over this, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a great game. I mean, Ubisoft puts out some amazing games along this line, but it did not say, hey, you need to go buy this. I, I didn't feel that way. I mean, if I put the same amount of time as I did in Zelda, and I didn't go and get the other Zelda, you know, mm. Tears of the Kingdom, what's going to push me to go get Mirage? And I, I, I don't know. I, I might just be happy of saying, okay, I need to finish up Valhalla, complete it, and then go. And I've got so many other games I need to play on the PlayStation. I just have not done it. And then I see, you know, all these sales coming out on my Switch. I got Switch games that are still in shrink wrap. Uh, you know, what? They're, they're, it's just, it's amazing how many games are out there. Just like board games. Yeah, it's 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 crazy right now. The games have come out. So I've, I've been into Diablo 4, really enjoying Diablo 4. I've got I've leveled up a necro and sorcerer to about the same level, trying to decide which one I like the most to continue with. Today I downloaded the demo for Final Fantasy 16 and I've played it for like an hour and I'm already in love with Final Fantasy 16. It's gorgeous. The music is great. I'm getting into the story. The combat is really cool. So that's going to take up more of my time. I don't know which one I'm going to play. I got Diablo 4 on the PC to play. I've got Final Fantasy 16 to play. So I don't just just some really good stuff. But now some do you have any interest in I know you were a big Elder Scrolls fan, as was I. Does Starfield, the Elder Scrolls in Space game, have any interest for you? That will probably break me from my current Guild Wars fascination. I mean, I am I've never done the Dragon Bash that's going on in Guild Wars 2 right now. And I'm doing that. And mm -hmm. I'm like going around smashing stupid dragon pinatas, but I want to do it every day so I can get my achievements. <laughs> you know, and then I got a rare loot drop or an exotic that's selling for like eight gold on the market, and I cannot bring myself to sell it, even though I need that gold because it's good for my character. And mm -hmm. I'm like, why is this so hard? It's just I, I just it's just unreal. But yeah, Starfield. When it is released, that's one of those games I might pull the trigger on for the PC and say, okay, this will break Guild Wars 2 and this will put away other things. But yes, I'm very interested in Starfield after the initial reviews. Yes. Now, the nice thing about Starfield is that it will be day one on Game Pass. So you do not have to drop $70. Instead, for one month, you could pay 10 bucks, turn on Game Pass mm. and try it and see if you like it. Okay, I will remind me and I will, well, I can wait a month. I can see if everybody's talking trash and wait for all the bug updates to happen because I mm -hmm. do not want to load a game and get frustrated with a game with it crashing my PC. I don't need that. 
Well, that's where Game Pass really is pretty good. A lot of these games that were announced at the Xbox event are going to be available day one on Game Pass. And when you're just talking $10 a month for the PC version, that's a good deal. At least try the game. And I mean, so if you play for less than seven months, you've you've won because you didn't pay full price on it. But you have a whole library of other stuff too that'd be available to you. But I had Game Pass for six months and never downloaded anything because you talked me back into Guild Wars 2, which I finally canceled, thinking, okay, and it says, well, you can come back at any time. We'll take your $10 Mm -hmm. at any time. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, don't drop 70 on Starfield because for 10 bucks, you can play it and see if you like it for the the first uh, month or so. I don't know that I'm going to try it unless everybody just totally loves it. I just know this. After this, they better get started working on the Elder Scrolls because that's what I want. I want mm-hmm. Elder Scrolls 6. As they said, they weren't going to be able to really start on until after Starfield was released. Now Starfield's released. And see, I didn't play enough Mass Effect. And I, and that's what I'm missing. I played the Dragon's Lair. Uh, yeah. Dragon, Dragon's, or Dragon's Age. Dragon's Age. That's it. Dragon's Age. Played that. Never finished the story. I forget what happened. Well, So I, I'm, I'm done with the fan. I've got the fantasy down. Let, give give me bring me back to the Mass Effect, okay? Let me gotcha. let me go do that. Let me have this a has space. a Mass Effect look to it. Mm-hmm. It does. So that's why I'm kind of very interested in it and see if it's going to take my time. Now, someday we may start our own. You know, maybe a 20 minute video game podcast. I know you had to do this on the side, but you know. But then again, I would mean I would actually have to pay attention to what's going on in the video game. Yes, world. you would. <laughs> that might be actually better for you too because then you can show clips of video games and stuff which which actually helps uh one other thing as a big spider-man fan any interest in spider-man 2 on the playstation no i never played one all right you need to play one mm-hmm. i'm telling you uh one or or the uh miles morales the freedom and the fun of just web slinging around a city is so good mm. it is actually fun to fly around and then combat and stuff you really should try it i don't know if you have playstation plus yes oh then it's free is download it? it to your yes download it to your playstation and try it well, i ran out of disk space on my stupid playstation so i gotta go get one of those y'all were talking about putting a new terabytes uh external storage i think on my system or you can take out i don't even know how to do that i just need you to come over here and do my tech stuff for me you could just delete games off your drive i did the problem is there's the valhalla takes up so much gotcha that i I mean i could delete that but not the save game i guess i don't know that's correct you could delete the core game and well no everything should be saved uh on the the cloud yeah Yeah, out there in the ether world yeah you're right i should delete games that I download that as long as I purchased them on plus, I can download them at any time, like God of war right. and things like that. Cause Correct. I will probably never give up plus we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see where the gaming takes me over the next year. And now I'm questioning myself. I think Spider-Man, at least I think one at minimum is, is available. You should try it as a Spider-Man fan. I think you should try it. I think with the new GameStop pro stuff, I can get it at 5% off or something or trade in a well, bunch and all that stuff. So yeah. Well, like I said, if it's already on PlayStation plus, don't even have to worry about it. Cause no. you've already got it. I'll go, so. I'll, I'll go crank up the PlayStation. See if it starts up. I'm just excited about our new video game podcast. I think you better find someone else. Well, you're the one that brought it up. Well, you better come up with a way to get out of it, like keep rolling dice (laughs) and taking names.
Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. Please follow us on social media at Dyson Names. That's at both Instagram and Twitter. Make sure to join our Discord server. We're constantly giving away a lot of cool games and having a lot of great interactions. And if you want to support the show, you could do so by heading over to buymeamoonpie.com. All right, Marty, in honor of Father's Day, we're going to hit a flurry of dad jokes for the stinger. You ready? Oh, boy. Here we go. Yes. What do you call a cheese that isn't yours? I don't know, Tony. What do, what do I call a cheese that's not mine? Nacho cheese. <laughs> Sorry. I've heard that one. God, I should have known that. You should have known that. Uh, um, did you know that if you swim with the sharks, it's a very expensive? Because it costs you an arm and a leg. Why did the phone wear glasses? Because it lost all of its contacts. Do you want me to continue or you think that's good? Uh, yeah, my gosh. Maybe we need to come up with something besides some r- really bad. Uh, 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 these aren't even dad jokes anymore. They're just bad. I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, why isn't there any Father's Day sales? Because fathers are priceless. Okay, that's it. We're done. <laughs>